I'm Erin. I'm Sarah. I'm Megan. And this is the Tribbles and Transporters podcast. You could write about something in science fiction. So I dreamed up the Star Trek idea so that I could comment on man and society. The whole show was an attempt to say that humanity will reach maturity and wisdom on the day that it begins not just to tolerate, but to take a special delight in differences in ideas and differences in life forms. You know the greatest danger facing us is ourselves and a rational fear of the unknown. There's no such thing as the unknown. Only things temporarily hidden, temporarily not understood. Open your mind to the past, art, history, philosophy, and all this may mean something. There comes a time in every man's life when he must stop thinking and start doing. Fear only exists for one purpose, to be conquered. We're going to stumble, make mistakes, I'm sure, more than a few before we find our footing. But we're going to learn from those mistakes. That's what being human is all about. The heart of real science fiction is stories about people and ideas. Because it says it's not all over, it's not going to go up in smoke, we're going to make it. Because it says the human adventure has just begun. Welcome everybody to episode 40 of Tribbles and Transporters. We're your three Trekkie gals who grew up in the 90s and fell in love with Star Trek for many of the reasons that you just heard. And even though we consider ourselves Trekkies, there's a lot of Star Trek that we've never seen before, which is why we're watching all of the uh, episodes of the completed series. And we're talking about some of the cool behind the scenes stuff. And we're also giving you our reactions to the episodes. We'll also be tackling topics within the Star Trek universe and do an interview with the occasional guest. Today's episode is all about Charlie X from the original series. And if you're listening for the first time, we want to let you know very quickly who we are. I'm Sarah, and my favorite series is TNG. When it comes to the original series, I've never taken the time to sit down and watch through it. I've seen a handful of episodes here or there. But for the most part, I uh, haven't seen it. So this is kind of my first watch through, and I've never seen Charlie X before up until now. So it'll be fun to talk about this one. Yes, and I am Erin. I am the uh, Voyager fan on the podcast. I am also uh, going through the original series for the first time. Now, there are a few episodes here and there that I've seen, some that are, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, cult favorites and that sort of thing. But uh, I had not seen Charlie X. I, I knew the story of it, but I had not watched the episode. So it was very interesting to sit down and uh, see this episode. And I'm Megan. Deep Space Nine is my favorite, although Next Generation is a very close second. For me, I have seen um, more episodes of the original series than I thought I have. Um, this is not my first time watching Charlie X, um, although it's been a while since I'd seen the episode. So it's going to be fun to be able to talk through this episode with Sarah and Aaron, who had not seen it before. All right. And with that, we're going to give you a very quick breakdown of what to expect over the next hour or hour and a half. And we're going to start out as we do every single time with the Star Trek music challenge, where I choose a random piece of Star Trek music and Aaron and Megan have to guess where it came from. Then we're going to give you a very brief recap of Charlie X, just in case you have forgotten what it's about or if you've never seen it before. 
We're going to then go into our what did you think segment where we give you our initial first reactions to the episode. And then we're going to do, I think, what's our favorite part of the entire episode, which is our quiz where we quiz each other on the episode. Then we'll talk a little bit about the behind the scenes stuff and about the guest stars. And then we'll get into the episode discussion itself. And then we'll cap it off with your listener feedback. But first, we're going to jump into the music challenge. And again, like I said, I have chosen a random piece of Star Trek music from uh, anywhere in the franchise. Megan and Aaron have to figure out, they have to drill down and figure out where it is from. Uh, They're never ready for this, except for last time, Megan. No, the last couple of times, Megan, you've been right on the money pretty, pretty quickly with this, so... We'll see was if you I? can. Okay. <laughs> um, maybe not. Not last time I was. Yeah. Not, I not last week, last but the last couple, the couple of times before yeah. that, you got yeah. them pretty quickly. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think, think Sarah threw me a uh, threw me a bone last time. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Okay. Wow. It sounds so familiar. Well, see, my problem is I could see it fitting in almost any episode, any movie of the kind of 90s Trek. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be a problem. <laughs> this, this is not going to be a short guest today. <laughs> no, no. Well, I wanted it to be a little harder than the past few times, so. My kind of inclination is to say it's from somewhere in Voyager. See, I was leaning more towards Deep Space Nine or one of the movies. I kind of want to say it has the the sort of shorter format feel to it that would fit better in an episode than a movie. I, I'm going to kind of lean towards what Megan said and say, I believe it comes from Deep Space Nine. Okay. What makes you think it's from Deep Space Nine? I don't know. Like I say, it. I, I could see it fitting in Voyager as well, but um, there, there are definitely portions of Deep Space Nine that would fit with this kind of music where it's a, a dramatic thing that they're dealing with, um, most likely some sort of space anomaly or... Uh, an attack of some kind and Mm -hmm. that would definitely fit in well with deep space nine something is making me lean away from it being tng unless it's a movie but like i say i think it comes from an episode so i'm going to lean with deep space nine megan do you agree with that i do yeah it, it sounds like it comes from a battle sequence and then there's a lot of those in deep space nine especially towards the later seasons of it so yeah that's that's where my brain was initially going as well i don't know what episode it would come from okay well you both would be correct then it is from deep space sign and it is from a battle scene wow wow (laughs) well thank you for being for allowing us to be broad as in the entire series (laughs) oh you just wait now i want to know the episode 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> any guesses okay. on any guesses on who they were battling though? Ooh. Um the hmm. I'm my guess is the Klingons. And what do yeah, you say that? Gonna, oh, um because they do have a um time when they were coming to attack uh Deep Space Nine for them to go attack the Dominion and Starfleet wasn't gonna let them through and the station had been armed with all of these um, torpedo pays and all that stuff. So like, that's where my, my brain first went was somewhere inside that episode. Although I cannot name the episode. What were you going to say, Aaron? I, I was just going to say, for some reason I was leaning towards the Cardassians, but uh, that's probably mm. because other than the dominion, they are the other main bad guys in D space nine. Well, uh, once again, Megan is correct. Mm. Um, they are battling the Klingons. Now, I don't know if it's the episode that she mentioned. It's The episode is The Way of the Warrior. Okay. Okay. Uh, which I Here's, don't know. I so should have said that episode title because I almost <laughs> did. <laughs> that would have been really oh, impressive. Man, it would have been. <sighs> is that the uh, episode that you're talking about? I, I'm, I'm looking that up right now. <laughs> If I can get my fingers to type correctly. Wait, no, The Way of the Warrior is when uh, Worf shows up for the first time. Oh, it was that episode. <laughs> wow. wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Megan's getting good at drilling down on these. Yeah, she really is. <laughs> wow. I think you might have I'm found your expertise vague. on this, Megan. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm so surprised at myself. So... <laughs> The space vessel Antares rescues Charlie Evans from the forbidding surface of the planet Thasis and then hurriedly hands him off to the Enterprise. Soon, mysterious happenings follow the boy who cannot seem to learn certain vital lessons of adulthood. Finally, the humiliated teen reveals prodigious psionic powers that could even threaten the survival of the Federation. Who is Charlie really, and where did he get these abilities? So... What did you guys think? Well, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? This was a very interesting episode for me. I knew the story going in. So even from the very start, I, I knew why Charlie was going to be such a big deal in the episode. And I had heard that it's kind of a much-loved episode and the the acting was particularly good by Charlie, which I would agree, although I found him very creepy. <laughs> um, but I think that was on purpose. Otherwise, there there were a few things that stood out in this episode as being not quite what we expect from Star Trek. But then again, it's very, it's very first season of the original series. Things haven't settled into what we expect from Star Trek. So, you know, that's kind of a moot point. But other than that, I enjoyed the episode. Um, I thought it was a neat story. I wish there was a little more detail in it and gives us some of the details, but uh, I liked it. Yeah, this episode was a mixed bag for me. There were parts of I liked the, um, the overall idea of it, but I felt like it was kind of poorly executed in certain ways. It's a pretty memorable episode, to be honest, because it's so intense. It also creeps me out. <laughs> quite a bit too. 
So, like I say, it's it's got that creepiness factor, that really like tense factor. Like I don't think I was relaxed at all watching this episode. Hmm. But towards the end, you know, when we had the big reveal about what had actually happened, you know, I thought it was a very, very uh, pretty big idea that they were kicking around in this episode. I just kind of feel like they missed the mark a little bit on executing it. So, hmm. yeah, I'd have to agree with Sarah. You know, fortunately for me, this was not the first time I'd seen this episode. So I was able to maybe concentrate more on taking in details and things. Uh, but still, like for me, it was um, even though knowing that this is very early on in Star Trek is very distracting to have Spock so emotive um, again. Um, so, you know, Leonard Nimoy hadn't quite settled into how to play this character yet. You can tell like the interactions with people weren't quite there yet. But the, I mean, again, this is a, a big episode in the original series. I don't know that this would be one of my favorites. Because, um, like, Sarah and Aaron, the guest actor that was in this, he did a fantastic job on playing Charlie. Um, carried the creepy factor very well <laughs> in it. Yeah, I, it's mixed. So I, I think it's a good episode, but I, it's not one that I would probably, like, ever sit down and to intentionally watch again. All right. Well, before we get into too much detail about our thoughts and feelings on this episode, we are going to quiz each other. Can't you pay attention? Write down all those star dates. No more than a hint. Which of the hosts knows more about the show? We are going to ask each other five questions to see which one of us was paying the closest attention when we were watching the episode. Although I'm a little scared now that Megan says she was able to pick out details. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Okay, so and she, she uh, finished taking if you guys notes too, apparently. Yeah, made herself take notes all the way to the end. <laughs> I did. Of... I made myself focus all the way through the episode this time. <laughs> it Megan was very usually hard. stops taking notes about 10 minutes before the end of the episode if you haven't yeah. uh, heard one of our podcasts before. So it'll be interesting to see if she gives us any questions from the end of the episode this time. Mm-hmm. As it stands right now, the host wins. I have won five quizzes. Sarah has won three and Megan has won three. So we are uh, slowly uh, creeping towards a a three-way tie, I think, eventually. And as far as the listener leaderboard goes, we have our top answerer right now is Ian Davies on Twitter. He has three correct quiz answers. And then we have several people who have only answered one question each, uh, and they have each gotten that uh, that question correct. These are from different episodes. Uh, so we have uh, Rachel Kirky, um, Captain USS Milton, Travis, Cameron Harrison, Zen Power, and Mark Brown have all answered one question correct. So if you want to join in on that, uh, we will be posting the quiz question from Charlie X on social media, and you can answer over there, and we'll start adding you to the listener leaderboard. Now, we take turns asking our questions uh, to each other, so we are going to use an old-fashioned six-sided die to figure out who gets to go first, and we shall see... Megan, you get to go first. What? 
Yeah. That's the same as last time. <laughs> it is, I'm but sure I that was last. Got rigged. <laughs> last the whole, all the last few times. <laughs> From yeah. the randomizer that wasn't random. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, um, I am sure it's not rigged. So Megan gets to go first and she's going to ask five questions and we'll see which one of us comes out on top this time. Okay. Question number one. What are the names of the officers who beam over with Charlie from the Antares? I have written those in my notes. Okay, I'll uh, I'll do one and you do one. Okay. Okay, sounds good. So Captain Ramart is one, and Tom Nellis. That is correct. So you each get one. Uh, question number two: Captain Kirk offers several things to Captain uh, Ramart before they depart. What are those things? I only have Sari and Brandy written down. I don't remember what the other ones were. Yeah. I knew Sari and Brandy. I wrote down entertainment tapes as the as one of the things he offers. Yeah, I will each give you a point on that because he listed four things, so I would have accepted any of the four. So the other two were medical supplies and provisions. Ah. Although I was very intrigued about the entertainment tapes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Question number three. Um, once Charlie is on board the Enterprise, he receives a medical exam from Dr. McCoy in sickbay. And Dr. McCoy declares Charlie 100% what? Oh, I didn't write down the whole phrase. Do you know it, Sarah? I, no, I didn't write it down. I don't remember exactly what he said. Some Wasn't there something about a frog or something in there? <laughs> no. Is <laughs> that the wrong? There's an animal you mentioned, right? Well... I know he he mentioned well he said he was four o, mm-hmm. um, okay. But then he said he was one hundred percent. It was whole in in body and spirit or something like that. But I don't think that's totally correct. I thought he said something about a frog. If he said something about a frog, I didn't write it down. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm just it's just in my head, I guess. <laughs> So he, neither one of you got this one. So yeah. he said he was 100% sound of wind and limb. Oh, ah. yeah. I don't know how I got frog from that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't, yeah. Uh, question number four. What game is Yeoman Ran playing in the rec lounge? Oh, I don't know the specific type. I know the general category. I mean, it looks like solitaire to me, but... Yeah, it was solitaire of some sort. Yes, you both got it. All right. Uh, question number five. Uh, later on in the rec lounge, we see Kirk and Spock playing 3D chess, which Captain Kirk wins. What other games are on the table that they're playing? Or what other games are on that same table? Hmm. I saw I, checkers. Yeah, I did not pay attention to that at all. So I would just be guessing. Do you want to try to give it a guess? <laughs> um... <laughs> The only thing that's coming to mind is maybe something like backgammon. I don't know. So it goes to Sarah. There were two games. Uh, one was a similar thing of 3D checkers uh, and a random mystery card game. So I'll give it to Sarah. Ah. All, right. All right. So Sarah has four. Aaron has three. And I don't have any because I was asking questions. <laughs> that's usually how that works. <laughs> Every time. It's so weird. <laughs> All right, so I'll roll the die again. And Sarah, you get to go next. 
Okay, question number one. Uh, when Charlie introduces himself to Janice for the first time, he gives her a gift of perfume, I guess. What color is that perfume? Ooh, I know this. I didn't write it down, but I think I know this. Okay. Pre- pretty sure it was green. Yeah, it's like a yellowy green. Yeah, that's right. Question number two. On the bridge, towards the beginning of the episode, Kirk is playing with some of those... I call them coasters, because I don't know what else to call them. (laughs) They look like just square coasters. Um, They're all different colors. What are the two color coasters that he is playing with in his captain's chair? This Uh, was one of my questions, so I'm pretty sure I have this written down. I can only guess. (laughs) I didn't didn't even... uh, In my head, it's like, okay, he was doing that. All right. Um, I'll guess yellow and red. I was going to say two reds and a yellow. You were both correct. Question number three. When Kirk and Spock are playing chess, what is the first chess piece Kirk moves and what color is it? Mm. I, I can did only not take note of that. Yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> I can only guess color because I have no idea. Okay. Um, I'm guessing he was playing the white pieces. Yeah, I believe he was playing the white pieces, and I want to say it was a bishop. Okay, you're both wrong. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk was playing the black pieces, and it was a pawn that he moved. Uh. Okay, question number four. Again, they're all just kind of related. <laughs> it, I didn't mean for it to come out this way, but it just did. All right, in the gym scene... Sam is drying himself off with a towel. What color was that towel? I know this. Okay. I, it, it was like a gold green color. Yeah, I was going to call it an olive green. Uh, yeah, it was kind of a brownish green. It, depending on the shot, sometimes it looked green and sometimes it looked brown. So I'll give it that to you. Okay, last question. I have to figure this out here really quickly. When the uh, ant- Antares is destroyed, how many men are on board? Does I think Spock mention? I do mm-hmm. know this one. Okay. I do as well. So there were 20. Yes, 20. All right. You both are correct. Okay, so after round two, we have Aaron with seven points, Megan with four, and I have four. All right. Well, I think you guys can probably catch up with some of my questions here. So let's see. Uh, Carrying on the theme from Sarah's questions. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) In the opening uh, title sequence, uh, what color is the first planet that is shown? Oh my gosh. Are we doing title sequences now? Because now I can't (laughs) fast forward through them anymore. (laughs) You know what? I skipped the title sequence this time. (laughs) And I knew it was going to come back and bite me. (laughs) I contemplated not doing this question, but then I was like, well, you know, Megan opened it up as fair game. It's all all open. I had no idea. I'm I'm going to guess red. I'm going to say blue. Mm, you are both incorrect. It was orange. Okay. All right. So question number two. When Kirk walks into the transporter room, he tells the chief to beam their guests over from the Antares using what phrase? 
I remember hearing him say it and I thinking that that was kind of weird, the way he phrased it. I did as well, which is why I wrote it down. I have no idea. Something Is it something about speed? I don't know. <laughs> Alright, you done guessing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alright, it is begin materialization. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> what an Which, odd phrase. Yeah, although it does totally make sense with the transporter. So, anyway... Um, later in the episode, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are discussing whether or not Charlie destroyed the Antares, and we see Spock sitting in front of a instrument panel. Uh, when his back is turned to us, we can see some colored lights on the instrument panel. How many lights were seen over his shoulder? OMG. <laughs> the entire bridge is, has instrument panels with lights on it. Oh no, like, this what? isn't on the bridge. This is in a in the briefing room. Oh, in yeah. the briefing room. Yeah, so he's sitting in front of one computer and there's a sustained shot where you see a um, section of, of num- a certain number of lights just above his shoulder. Um, I'll guess three. I was gonna say four. Hmm. Okay, you're 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 both <laughs> okay. quite a ways off. It it was sixteen. Sixteen. Okay. <laughs> yes, and the only reason <laughs> I I didn't sit there and count all of them, but it was four um, four times four. Yeah, it was a square. Yeah. So I was like, oh well, that's you know, I can I can figure that out. So yes, it was a four by four square. All right, so question number four. Uh, On the bridge, when uh, Kirk is asking um, McCoy to, you know, spend some time with Charlie and teach him some things, McCoy mentions that Charlie already sees Kirk as a what? I do know this one. Isn't it just a father figure? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'll give that to you. It, I just like thought it was an interesting wording of that. Um, he said a strong father image. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, in the recreation room, Charlie starts doing some card tricks. And in one of them, uh, he throws away one of the aces from a deck of cards. And uh, Yeoman Rand pulls it out of the top of her uniform. What card was it? It was an ace. It was. <laughs> I don't know which one. It was an ace. <laughs> the ace of hearts is going to be my guess. I'm going to say diamonds. Ace of diamonds. Unfortunately, it was a black card. It was the ace of clubs. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I, I guess I went for the difficult questions this week. Mm-hmm. You sure did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I have um, both of you guys with five uh, Mm -hmm. points. Okay, so Megan and I have tied for second place um, as normal, and Aaron has (laughs) one. (laughs) Oh, man. All right, so with our quiz, we are going to have a uh, listener question, and that's going to be posted over on social media. So we have our Twitter account, which is at Triples Podcast. We have Instagram for Triples and Transporters Podcast, and then a Facebook group for Triples and Transporters Podcast. All right, guys, we're going to try a picture on this. Let's get everybody one, please. Pictures up. Pictures up. 
Let's roll sound. Rolling. Rolling. Sound speed. Camera speed. Take two. Mark. And action. Okay, guys, so we're going to get into some of the behind-the-scenes stuff on Charlie X, and we're going to start with the story and script. Uh, Gene Roddenberry is the one who came up with the story for this, and he did it back when he was uh, developing Star Trek kind of for the first time. Back in 1964 is when he first kind of wrote out the story idea. And at the time, it was titled Charlie is God, and then uh, in 1966, they turned it into a teleplay, and DC Fontana, who we've mentioned previously on this podcast, uh, one of the original female writers for Star Trek, she wrote the actual teleplay for this. Hmm. And she said that uh, they edited it very little. She said, for the most part, what she wrote is what ended up on screen. Paramount didn't really like this episode because they thought it was more of a teenage melodrama in space instead <laughs> of kind of their shoot 'em up uh, space <laughs> type show that they wanted. Uh, but they had little choice but to use this for this second episode because it was a bottle episode that didn't require any extra sets and very little post-production. And so uh, because none of the other episodes they had shot were ready to go yet uh they had to make this the second episode aired and if you watch this episode uh one thing i definitely noticed was all of the colored lights everywhere in this mm. episode and that was purposely done by the cinematography obviously uh by note from uh, paramount because paramount at the time was advertising star trek for color television and uh, RCA was also involved with this. And, of course, they were the big color TV uh, makers at the time. And so Paramount really, really wanted to push, uh, you know, Star Trek for color TV. And so they had the cinematography really kind of beef up the background lights uh, that mm. you see so much of in this. And they also thought it added a lot of warmth to the episode. Over the course of the series, you'll see that that kind of gradually fades off because they had too many time constraints as as the uh, series developed, and they just didn't have time to light everything that way. And just one little interesting note is that the exterior shots of the Enterprise that you see in this episode were taken from the cage and where no man has gone before. They had not shot any new exterior shots yet of the Enterprise, so they just kind of use recycled footage. Hmm, interesting. So uh, they filmed from July 11th through July 19th, 1966, on the Paramount lot, but at the time it was called Desi Lu, and they filmed on stage nine of Desi Lu Studios, which later became Paramount Stage 31. And the original series is the only Star Trek series to ever use that particular stage on Paramount. Uh, and a fun little tidbit, Deep Space Nine, when they did their Trials and tribulation, Tribulations uh, episode, they wanted to use Stage 31 as a tribute to the original series, but it ended up being unavailable, so they weren't able to do that. Mm. Aww. <laughs> yeah, that, that would have been fun for them, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, this episode was directed by Lawrence Dobkin, and this is the only Star Trek episode he ever directed. 
But interestingly enough, he played a character in TNG. Uh, he played Ambassador Kell, uh, who was a Klingon in the episode Mind's Eye. Hmm. Charlie X aired on September 15th, 1966 here in the United States. And in the UK, it aired September 13th, 1969. So three years later. I do have a couple of things that I can jump in on just general okay. trivia on the episode. Um, sure. The rec room um, in this uh, is actually a redress of the briefing room set. Um, the gymnasium that we see in this is a redress of engineering. This episode was also novelized um, in Charlie's Law by James Blish. And it was the first of the Star Trek novel- novelization series for Bantam Books. So um, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, and then we also have in this episode, James Dewan and George Takai are actually not in this episode at all. Um, although there is an audio clip of George Takai from the man trap that is dubbed in uh, when Kirk calls the bridge from the gym. Cool. I didn't even notice that they weren't in this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't either until I was reading this after I'd watched the episode. Yeah, I did notice it because I was like, wait, where's Sulu? I knew uh, Chekhov wasn't in the series yet, but Sulu wasn't there. And we didn't get any engineering scenes or call for engineering or anything. So I realized Scotty wasn't in there either. So, And then I have some more stuff, but I'll share that later on as we go through. All right. Well, looking at the guest stars in this episode... um, as Sarah kind of alluded to, this is very very self-contained episode, so there aren't a lot of uh, guest stars um, that are really emphasized. Of course, we have Robert Walker as Charlie, um, and as we said before, he did a really amazing job uh, playing this rather odd character. He was playing a 17-year-old, but at the time he was 26, Um, but he looked young, so he was able to fit in the role. So previous to this, he appeared in a movie called The Hook with Kirk Douglas, and he was also in the same year appeared in The Ceremony, and he actually won a Golden Globe for that as Most Promising Male Newcomer. Wow. So yeah, he was... uh, rather well-recognized when he was chosen for Star Trek. Um, Now, he is also a a method actor, so he's the type of actor that, you know, gets into character and stays in character the whole time he's filming, even when, you know, the cameras aren't rolling and all that sort of thing. So as such, um, he didn't spend much time at all, if any, with any of the main cast. And he just like stayed apart from them and stayed in character and everything. And several people have said this really added to the feeling that Charlie was totally different from the crew. Um, You know, he didn't get to know them at all. He didn't develop a rapport other than just as this awkward kid who doesn't know anything about society. Um, And then after appearing in this Star Trek episode, he was in several movies and some TV shows, but then he retired from acting and was running a store in Malibu. And it happened to be a store that was frequented by Ira Stephen Bear, who was instrumental in the formation of Deep Space Nine. He happened to recognize Robert and approached him to play a role on Deep Space Nine, but he turned it down saying that he didn't want to renew his acting career. Hmm. Well, okay. 
I know that when he first showed up, I was like, I know that guy from something. Um, <laughs> I like to watch old stuff, and so I've I'm sure I've seen stuff from the '60s that he was in. Mm. Um, I know he didn't have like a regular role on anything that I could tell. So he did just a lot of guest star spots on stuff. Yeah. Maybe he from... He okay. did look super familiar. Yeah, yeah. I want to say he was like in a beach movie or something from the <laughs> 60s that I saw. I don't know. But yeah, he's... I guess if you watch stuff from that era, you, you've probably seen him before. Hmm. And then the other person that kind of stood out when I was looking through the guest stars was Robert Heron. And he played Sam, the... Uh, uh, crewman who Charlie first makes disappear. So he first got involved with Star Trek as a stunt double for Jeffrey Hunter in the cage. Uh, so it makes sense that he's playing Sam because he's doing these it's some sort of martial arts, I believe, that they're doing these these throws. Um, but he was actually a late addition to this episode. Um, a man named Bo Vandenecker was supposed to play Sam. I'm not sure why they made the switch, but uh, they called on Robert, and uh, he actually also played a, a role in a later episode of the original series uh, called The Savage Curtain, and he appears as a um, representation of Kalos, the Unforgettable. Uh, so he plays a Klingon in that episode. Now, he did uh, play some small roles in some movies and TV. Uh, and in fact, one of the movies he was in also featured Major Barrett. So I wonder if that's maybe how he got connected with uh, Star Trek. But he's better known as a stuntman uh, and appeared in over 200 movies and TV shows as a stuntman. Wow. And yeah, some of the names of these pictures that he's been in is, are pretty impressive. He was in The Ten Commandments, Spartacus, Rocky, Shaft, Poltergeist, The Untouchables, TV shows The Green Hornet and The Rockford Files, and the movie L.A. Confidential. Wow. So, yeah, he appears in a lot of uh, very well-known uh, things. And then... Um, Kind of a, a little cameo that shows up in here. Megan mentioned uh, hearing George Takai in this episode. Well, we also hear another famous Star Trek voice. When Kirk receives a recall or a call on the bridge from the galley chef telling him that the meatloafs have miraculously turned into turkeys, that was indeed the voice of Gene Roddenberry. And uh, this is the only time he has a acting role in Star Trek. Don't let them take me. I can't even touch them. Janice. I can't feel. Not like you. They don't love. want to stay, stay, stay. Okay, so we're going to get into the episode discussion, and we start with the cold open where Charlie Evans beams aboard the Enterprise from the Antares. The big takeaway from this scene, I guess, is he's a little weird um, because we keep getting shots of him 
looking away as if he's either shy or doesn't quite know what's going on. And of course, he gets uh, he keeps interrupting in the conversation, so we know that he's not quite up to speed on uh, like behavior and stuff like that. So Yeoman Ran walks in and he sees a girl for the first time. That kind of gave away the plot. I was like, okay, he's going to be after Janice this entire episode. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in this scene, um, the uniforms that uh, the two people from the Antares are wearing and that Charlie, the shirt that Charlie is wearing were um, the gold shirts from the pilot cage. Hmm. So they were reusing um, costumes. Yeah. As soon as I saw them, I was like, oh, yeah, those are from the cage for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which of course, uh, Back when this first aired, you wouldn't know that because you wouldn't have seen the cage. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, having seen it relatively recently, it did uh, look familiar. And Kirk's shirt also was interesting. I have seen that shirt before in, I don't know, random clips or pictures of this, of TOS, where he had the gold you know, kind of pattern on the shirt. Mm. I was kind of thinking, well, is that kind of, does that you know do we see that throughout the whole series or is that just something that was they did for like the first few episodes if we do see it throughout the series is that kind of like his you know picard jacket uniform that he would wear occasionally with this particular one i don't remember specifically seeing that green uniform top but there is another green uniform that he wears uh, later in the series. And I want to say it, it, the explanation was like, that's kind of to designate the captain to have him be a little bit different, which then it's kind of weird that he keeps going back and forth between that mm-hmm. and the the gold mm-hmm. normal tunic. Yeah. Isn't the other one where it kind of like wraps around him? Yeah. And yeah. this one did as well, but it was more cropped and, and more tight. But yeah, the the other one is, you know, more full coverage up to his neck and stuff like that. Oh yeah, he did. Okay, For, I didn't catch that change, but now that I'm thinking back, yeah, he was wearing the, like the normal uniform later in the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there there was actually a moment I noticed where he inexplicably changes between the two. So when Kirk and Charlie are talking about how he should talk to uh, to Janice and that sort of thing. And then he gets a call to go to the bridge. He gets in the turbo lift. Charlie says, I'm coming with you. And he gets on right away. They get to the bridge. And it, when they were f- below decks, Kirk was wearing the, the yellow tunic. When they get to the bridge, he's wearing the green with the gold at the collar. Oh, I did not even notice that. No, I didn't either. So I'm not sure what happened there, but I think somebody made incorrect notes on costuming. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, There was also another thing like that that I noticed that was odd to me, which was when um, Kirk is giving his captain's log at the beginning, he refers to the Antares as a cargo vessel. And then later in the episode... The Antares is called a science probe vessel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed that too. And then it becomes a survey vessel, which I'm like, okay, science probe survey, that that kind of works together. But 
cargo vessel and survey vessel are two different things. Yeah. Well, the name of the planet that they're going to changes repeatedly, too. So, Oh, it really? does? I, yeah, yeah. So it changes from um, Colony 5 to Colony Alpha 5. The only other one I noticed was Earth Colony 5. Yes. Which, you know, I was like, okay, Colony 5 and Earth Colony 5 could be interchangeable. Well, Colony Alpha 5 could be the same. They just left out the Alpha. I yeah. mean, yeah. like they're just, Colony 5 is just shorthand for what they were saying. It, but it's it's instead of keeping it consistent, it's different almost every time they refer to the planet mm. or refer to the settlement. So, yeah. One thing that I've found interesting in going back and watching these really early episodes, I, of course, always knew who Janice Rand was and I knew that you know, she appeared in a lot of the episodes. I didn't realize she was such a prominent character. Like, yeah, she's almost to the point that you would think she was in the main cast, but yeah. she's never really included with them. So I wonder if that was something that changed later on to where, like, maybe she was intended to be a main character and then didn't get billed as one or was kind of phased out. I'm not sure. I don't know. I feel like maybe they needed that extra... They needed that girl. Mm. Like, she's the seven of nine right now on yeah. the original series. They can't quite do that with Ahura, I feel like, because she is part of the bridge crew, and that would be weird to kind of make her that type of character. Mm. She does a little bit of that, but I think that's pretty much just her role. And this is to be that <laughs> is to be that girl. Okay, so um, moving on, Doctor McCoy gives uh, Charlie a clean bill of health, and so Charlie starts kind of wandering around the Enterprise, observing some of the people working, and he observes two men who two friends working together, and one of them, you know how guys do, they kind of slap each other on the. But which was a little weird, actually, for this. Like, I've seen baseball players do that, but not just two guys working together doing that. Yeah. That's, that's a little weird. But obviously, it was to set up, you know, Charlie slapping Janice on the butt because he thought that that's, you know, what friends do or whatever. And of course, she took it completely differently than the guys did. And Charlie doesn't understand why she's so upset over it. But she's patient with him because I think she understands that he doesn't quite know how things work. Mm. Since he has been, I guess we should mention, he has been stranded on this planet, basically, for 14 years. From the age of three, he was stranded on that planet by himself. Right. His parents got killed. Um, so he's basically not been around any other humans or anybody, really, to kind of teach him how to behave and all of that stuff. So this is all brand new to him. And he's always had trouble uh, since he was rescued of fitting in with the people like on the Antares. Uh, he says that they hated him uh, because he just doesn't know how to act right and doesn't know how to fit in. I did think it was pretty odd um, when or I noticed this, that um, when Charlie's in sick bay and Dr. McCoy finishes up at his exam and basically goes, come on, Charlie, I'll show you back to your quarters. And so they exit out the door of sick bay. And the next scene is Charlie all by himself wandering the ship, just like the next cut. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and so, and he's come across this crewman that's lowering a pole through a grate in the floor of the hallway. 
Yeah. So Dr. Like, McCoy has disappeared. Yeah. And now we've got this random pole being lowered through a grate <laughs> in the hallway. Yeah. I say they that's that's one inter- interesting thing about this show is that they've got all of these kind of it's like gadgets you would see on a naval ship that are just randomly in the hallways. Mm-hmm. And they're very colorful. They're like red and yellow and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know what any of it does. It's just they're like valves that you turn and all of this mm-hmm. stuff. And then they're lowering poles through the floors. It's just kind of bizarre compared to the to the later series. And I just don't quite know yeah. what to make of it. It's like <laughs> you're always seeing the ship. Like the ship is under con- constant maintenance. Hmm. Like yeah. there's always something to, to be worked on. And maintained, at least in the original series, all of that's just right alongside everything in the hallway and where on everything else after it is pretty much contained to Jeffrey's tubes or interior, super interior parts of the ships that just not everybody will wander into or see. That's what's throwing me off with this, is that we never see mm-hmm. people like just work randomly... I mean, rarely we see people randomly working in the hallway on like a computer panel or something. But for the most part, you just don't see that at all, except for like those spaces that Megan just mentioned. So that's just so different on this series. I guess they just, they were like, well, we need to have activity going on on the ship. So we'll just put people working on stuff. Yeah. Well, it's also much more similar to what would have been the space travel of the time. Um, even the space shuttle and all that sort of thing that, uh, you know, they have been used in the past, you know, however long, it, it was very utilitarian in a lot of ways. So I think that was kind of more of a junction between that sort of space travel and what we see in TNG. And it's also a, a difference of you know, the original Enterprise is very much a, not necessarily a military vessel, but it's it's closer to that. Whereas the Enterprise in TNG and then the, the ships following that tend to have more of a designated diplomatic function and they're, mm-hmm. they're showing, you know, a more polished face, I guess. One thing with with the original series that I haven't been able to really get over yet is the feeling of this being a spaceship. And I think it's just because the design is so different from everything that came after it that when I'm watching it, it's hard to say, okay, they're on the Enterprise. They're on a ship right mm. now. Because I would just look at the design. Like, I think the colored lights that we were talking about, there were so many like just random colored lights on the background shining up on the walls and stuff that I kept having to remind myself, no, this is Star Trek. <laughs> this is like on a starship. <laughs> Uh, this isn't like in a you know a club somewhere where they got lights everywhere and stuff. So it was. Uh, so I kept having to like bring my brain back to that while watching this. Well, speaking of lighting, one of the things I noticed throughout this episode is the use of sort of the iconic Star Trek thing of having this square of light on yes. the eyes of the the <laughs> yep. focus actor. Yeah. Um, Overdone in this episode, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it works when, you know, you're on the bridge in a tense moment and you really need to be focusing on Kirk and, you know, they they put this light just on his eyes and it makes it really intense. But it was used so much in this episode. It 
almost became some sort of weird cliche or like it was some sort of strange joke. Well, it almost uh, came across as an artistic thing, like in theater. Mm. You know, in theater, it's not realistic. And so when you're watching a stage play, they'll lower all of the lights randomly and do an effect like that. And Mm. you just accept it because you know that they're being artistic and dramatic and stuff. That doesn't really translate very well to film and TV, though. And so, yeah, like that gym scene, it would be fully bright. And then the next shot, it would be like dark with just that square of light. It reminded me of the uh, the last scene in Discovery that we watched, you okay. know, where yeah. uh, she's standing in front of those, I don't know, that panel of uh, admirals, whoever she's talking to, mm. and it's completely dark. And we just see their silhouettes and she's just got like that light on her face. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Like nobody, they wouldn't actually have the lights off you know, while she's standing trial in, in this. And so it, it took me back to that moment. Yeah, it, it was a, an interesting choice in some um, spots. And then there were some times where, you know, it, it was where you expect it to be on Kirk sitting in his chair on the bridge. Yeah, it just stood out to me. And I did notice some of the colored lights that you were talking about. Uh, I actually thought it was interesting on the bridge. There's kind of a, a ridge that goes around the the junction between the wall and the ceiling. And there were colored lights um, kind of alternating red, blue, and yellow uh, coming out of that ridge. So uh, it was definitely something I hadn't noticed in any other episode of Star Trek. I would not have wanted to be the person working on post on doing color correction with all of those (laughs) ambient colored lights around. Try to keep everybody's flesh tones correct. That would have been terrible. Mm. Well, I mean, obviously they decided not to keep that up. Which makes sense because I think I've seen later episodes where they didn't have all of those colored lights. Yeah. Okay, so speaking of the bridge, we go to a scene where Spock and McCoy are talking to Kirk uh, right on the bridge, right in front of everybody about how <laughs> he needs to be a father figure to Charlie. And of course, Kirk is uh, like, no, I don't want to do that. Um, and he pawns that responsibility off on Spock and McCoy. But then he ends up in the episode actually doing it. And we have a couple of funny moments uh, with that. Cut to, I think, the oddest scene in, in this entire episode, yeah. which is the recreation lounge, where Spock is playing the harp, and Uhura lute. is, or the lute, whatever the it lute. is, yep. and Uhura is singing. Mm. So in this scene, so Uhura was originally supposed to be able to mimic anybody, um, and so they changed it to where it's something that she could actually do which is sing um so not all of the lines were adjusted to that that's why you have human rand saying you know do the captain do the captain again and so she's no i've already done that that was for her to do an impression of captain kirk instead of singing about him so that's what she's like no i've already i've already done him and so that's why she sang but still it was a very random thing with spock smiling (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> not long with what's happening or being amused by what's happening um that's where the, i got a little thrown it's like okay this is weird yeah one thing i took out of this though is 
I had never picked up on any possibility of a romantic notion between Uhura and Spock before. And I think that's simply because I haven't watched particular episodes of the original series. And, you know, there we've definitely seen in this episode and then the, the previous one, um, some hints at that. And I think that's why it got picked up in the, the Kelvin universe of actually pairing Spock and Uhura together. So I thought that was very interesting, this whole singing scene. I mean, Nichelle Nichols is amazing. She has a beautiful voice. Um, but it is kind of awkward that she's just like doing this improv song about, you know, look out ladies, the, you know, the men are coming for you. And, know. <laughs> you and know, it's Spock that's coming yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was kind of odd, and I, I also thought it was interesting that she refers to the crew as astronauts in this, in that mm. song. So that was something that I, I'm not sure I've ever heard of that on Star Trek before. Well, it was one of those moments where I think Spock played like a chord or something on the lute, and then Uhura like spreads her arms out like she's about to start singing and I was going okay is this about to happen are we about to burst in the song here <laughs> randomly in the middle of a Star Trek episode yes and then it happened I was like okay this is like Star Trek the musical or something like this is just really uh, I didn't really know how to react to this other than this is bizarre to me mm. I've never seen Spock playing wait does Spock play an instrument in Star Trek 5 when they're doing row 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 your boat I think I don't, it was the lute. I mean, if he wasn't, like, this is not the only episode he plays the Vulcan lute in. Okay. It's yeah. maybe well, the first time we've seen it. And, well, obviously, because this is only the second episode. So this is the first time we've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> it just it's seems weird time. that he would be involved in this. He just seems, like, a little bit more standoffish to me. Yes. Uh, to be in there. Okay, guys, I want to play and we're yeah, going to sing, you know. Just, just hanging out in the ship's recreation yeah. lounge. Yeah. To me, that came across as he was going. He was there to play for you know his enjoyment or to practice his skill or whatever. And Uhura was kind of butting in by singing along. So, like when she first starts humming along with or just vocalizing with the music, and Spock stops and kind of looks at her. To me, that was kind of like really you're going to intrude on this. I thought Janice said you know, do it again when he starts playing again. And that's why she started singing. Uh, so I, I didn't catch that. She said, you know, do the captain or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought that that was a weird line. I was like, wait, what? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now it makes sense knowing that <laughs> what, the, yeah. what she was supposed to be doing. Yeah. I have heard this song before. I don't think it was on Star Trek though. Hmm. I can I can distinctly hear in my brain a woman singing this song uh, a cappella, and I don't know where in the world it comes from. It's been bothering me for the last two days. Hmm. I cannot. I researched the song to try and see if it was in something else that I've seen, but it's not. Like I can't find it anywhere. I think I saw it on Memory Alpha yesterday when I was looking at this. Hang on, let me see if I can find it. Well, I also thought it was interesting that Uhura is basically singing this song all about Charlie and saying he's their darling and everything. And 
somehow he takes that negatively. Like she's intruding on his time with Janice, I guess. But, uh, you know, when, when he causes her to, you know, lose her voice, everything up until then, he's only reacted negatively to things that were kind of openly negative towards him, or at least that we've seen. Well, no, she says a line, something about, I forgot exactly what she says, but she does mm. say something that sounds negative about him. Okay. That he took the wrong way. Mm. So I found out um, on Memory Alpha, so the song that she's singing to Spock and then Charlie, they think may have been taken from an old Scottish folk song penned by Robert Burns called Charlie, He's My Darling. Yeah, so I know. I, a, in that a song is almost identical to what she's singing. Right. So, that's, so like, I, I looked that up. All of the other things that they listed it had been in, I had not seen before. So, um, and I've never seen this episode before. So, I don't know how in the world I know that song, but hmm. it's bugging me. I don't know. Is there, maybe I've heard it randomly in like a Star Trek documentary or something where they play a little clip of it. Yeah. I don't know. Could be. Okay. So, in that, that scene, um, Charlie kind of joins in by trying to play some card tricks. He's obviously trying to fit in with the crew and make them like him. And so he does some card tricks, especially with Janice trying to impress her. It does the scene kind of ends where he's somewhat successful, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. It seemed like he was fitting in. Yeah. So in that scene, the um, cards um, that, had the photos of Yeoman Rand, those photos were publicity stills of uh, Grace Lee Whitney that was used on those playing cards. Yeah, makes sense. All right, the next scene is kind of like one of the funnier ones of the episode where uh, Kirk is trying to finally explain to Charlie why you don't go around slapping women on the bum. <laughs> And he has a very hard... I felt like he was trying to explain the birds and the bees yeah. to him and yeah. not really being very successful <laughs> doing it. Because Charlie didn't really catch what he was trying to say at all in this. And then things really start to ramp up. Here is where the episode really kind of starts to get more tense and Kirk starts to kind of suspect that something weird is going on with Charlie. The Enterprise receives a call from the Antares. They lose the connection and then finally they hear the Antares basically is destroyed. We later learn that Charlie is the one that did it with his powers, uh, but the Enterprise crew is not quite wise to that yet. But Kirk does give Charlie a little look in this scene, like, I think you are involved in this somehow, but I'm not sure how. Yeah. And Charlie does what he always does is he goes into the triple if it runs away. <laughs> yeah. He does that a lot in this episode. Yeah. I thought it was really strange that no nobody ever tries to stop him or call him back when he just turns yeah. around and walks into the turbo lift. Like even at times when, you know, the, the one I really thought of it was actually in the gym when he makes Sam disappear. I, I wanted Kirk to like say, bring him back. Like you can't just yeah. make people disappear. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he does ask, you know, did, did you do that or whatever? But he, he never says, okay, you know, bring him back. I think Spock 
definitely starts to suspect Charlie here too, because of the way Charlie said, Oh, well, you know, it was an old chip. Yeah. Um, and they didn't even realize it was destroyed yet. I thought that was um an interesting way to allude to the fact that Charlie has something extra going on here. Well, I still found it pretty interesting too that they're letting a seventeen year old run around the ship mm. without an escort, like wherever he wants to go he can go. So that, that was, to me was odd that even, even let's say he was an adult because there's apparently crew members that are his age on the ship. Like you wouldn't let just some random person, a passenger that you're taking from this ship to their home planet, just have free reign mm. on a starship. So I, I found that odd for this whole episode. Yeah, I guess so, but I can recall times in TNG where stuff like that happened. Yeah, yeah but I if think- they went into certain areas, they were reported and told, hey, you can't be here. <laughs> the, this doesn't really happen. True, but that was usually like when they went into like engineering and stuff or on on the bridge. But when he goes on, when Charlie goes onto the bridge, he's usually accompanied by like Kirk or something. Hmm. Yeah, but he was crawling through conduit. <laughs> like the crew members that, that he... Um, oh, that's that's true. That one that was weird. Yeah. yeah, that was weird. Yeah, and the the crew members did act like that was strange, but I mean, and the guy even said hello, and then Charlie just ignores him and walks away. So yeah. uh, you know, wasn't that guy that noticed him the guy that was doing the pole through the floor? Yeah, I mean, he, they greeted each other, but like it was the the two engineers, I guess, for lack of a better term, that crawled out of the side hallway conduit that both looked at him like, what are you doing here? Yeah. Well, it looks like they were sliding down. Fr- I thought that they were like maybe sliding down from the floor above them or something. Yeah. I'm not know. sure what that conduit is. It's seen several times of this angled conduit that um, people crawl in and out of. So I'm not sure what that goes up to. I wonder if maybe it goes up into the warp nacelles or something. Well, how do they not see him crawl into it? Like, they come down right after him. Right. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was that way in the script. Okay. Okay, and then we uh, cut to a scene where Kirk and Spock are playing chess, and they're starting to discuss Charlie and that something might be up with him. Charlie interrupts them. Uh, Speaking of wandering around the ship, (laughs) he just happens (laughs) to walk in where Kirk and Spock are. And he asks to play chess, and so Kirk gives up his spot to Charlie, and he and Spock start playing. Spock beats him in, like, two moves, and that gets Charlie angry, and he melts some of the uh, chess pieces after Spock leaves. And so we keep, throughout the episode, getting uh, more and more obvious signs that Char- of Charlie's power. You know, yeah. his, the first thing we get is he just makes the perfume materialize for Janice. And now we're up to where he's melting things with his mind. And so you can see it where it's building up to Mm, (laughs) at this point. Yeah. Of which, can you checkmate in two moves in chess? Like, I don't know enough about it to say. I I found that really weird. Like, I don't play chess. I've only played it once. (laughs) My brother, this is years ago, my brother was trying to teach me because he plays and I beat him. In my first ever game, and he would never play me again. So that's the only the only time I've played chess. So I just found it really odd that in three moves you could checkmate somebody. 
Well, I mean, this is three-dimensional chess, so the rules are probably a little different. Mm. I mean, honestly, probably if you move, if you move the two pieces that are in front of the queen on the chessboard, then yeah, I suppose you could do that. But uh, again, this is not the normal chess game that we know, so we don't know how 3D chess works. I know there are actual rules, like they make it, so you can play it. Yeah. All of you nerds out there, Star Trek nerds who have this chess game, let us know if you can (laughs) checkmate in three moves. I actually want one of those. uh, Not to play it, I just want it to display. Mm. I want the TNG version of it, though. I don't I like the look of the TNG one better than uh, the original series. That that's the one that's like the clear and frosted glass. Yeah, mm-hmm. they have like yeah. the chess pieces are like gold and silver, I think, instead of hmm. black and white. But I was pretty impressed that Captain Kirk beat Spock in three D chess. So yeah, yeah, I I like that Spock comments that you know sometimes your chaotic way does have some advantages. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, Deanna Troy beat Data at chess once. So, Oh, yeah, that's right. So, obviously, the um, perceived smarter person doesn't always win. All right, and then uh, we get into, a, a th- I thought, an interesting scene here where Janice comes to Kirk, once again, on the bridge in front of everybody. <laughs> I don't know what it is. This show is, um, this show takes the bridge a lot more casually, I feel like. Then later, I don't know, on TNG, you were pretty formal on the bridge. Like, there wasn't a whole lot of room for personal chit-chat, you know? And this show has a lot of that going on on the bridge. Well, and I think I think also because, again, it's, it's a smaller crew and, you know, just in situations where they're maybe a little bit closer to each other as a as a whole. Right. And I think also Picard's personality kept it yeah. that way too. Yeah. Yeah. But basically Janice confronts Kirk about Charlie coming on to her and basically asks for his help uh, to get him to back down <laughs> a little bit. Basically Kirk is the idea, I think from his conversation with Janice to take Charlie to the gym and let him blow off some steam. And uh, he keeps trying to show Charlie saw how to do like some tumbling moves and Charlie does not seem to be interested. I didn't really quite get why he didn't want to try. Was was he just being rebellious, like teenage rebellion? Shy, I get. Uh, yeah. I more took it as shy, didn't want to embarrass himself to open himself up to ridicule for not getting it. I also <laughs> thought this was like the obligatory Kirk has no shirt on scene. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He's rolling around in red tights. Kept seeing his underwear. With the Star Trek logo on him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought the gym scene was very interesting because I don't know that I've seen a scene like that to that extent on Star Trek before. Um, I want to say there might be another gym scene in the original series or whatever. Uh, but yeah, if there was, is, it's not in the actual gym. This is the only time that the gymnasium is in the series. Oh, okay. Yeah. I also picked up vaguely on the fact that it was a redress of the engineering set. Cause I was like, this room looks familiar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the mesh wall between the two areas. Yeah. Yeah. I thought uh, during the gym scene, it kind of clicked in my brain that, 
how much TNG took from the original series. Because I was like, okay, TNG took the 3D chess. Mm-hmm. They took the idea of 10 Ford from the recreational lounge. Mm-hmm. Um, they took the idea of having gymnasiums on board because we see them all the time in TNG yep. mm-hmm. for various things. And so it kind of was cool as a t- somebody who started watching Star Trek with TNG and the later series and now kind of going back and watching the original series for the first time, uh, just realizing how much of that stuff in TNG they took from the original series that I didn't yeah. realize before. Yeah, I had that thought when they were playing 3D chess and went, oh, wow, that was in the original series? Like, I literally had that thought of uh, seeing it. So, like, I was like, okay, well, that didn't originate in TNG. Well, I knew th- I knew about the chess. Like, I knew that they had had that because I had seen it before. Um, but the gym, I had no idea that they had a gymnasium and stuff like that. Uh, but even knowing about the chess, you know, it's just still cool that they took that and carried it on to TNG. And I, I'm, I'm really kind of interested, you know, as we go through the rest of the series to see more things like that, possibly, that the later series took from the original series. Uh, but the gym, the gym scene is where we get the full-on, okay, Kirk finally finds out who Charlie is because he does make Sam disappear. Um, I also thought Kirk's reaction was very calm compared to what was going on. Mm. But uh, yeah. I also know he was trying not to ruffle the feathers too much because he didn't want uh, Charlie to make him disappear. Yeah, true. Kirk calls a conference with McCoy and Spock to try and figure out how to handle him. Uh, the the weird thing about this scene to me was that they didn't try to figure out how Charlie had all of the, all of these powers. Yeah, because once they determined he was not a Thasian, they just kind of blew it off. Like I don't know, he's a human and he can do all of this stuff, but we can we don't know why they. Like, I figure if this was Picard and the TNG crew, they would try to figure out what the heck was going on. Like, how mm-hmm. did, how, what powers does he have and how did he get them? Because that's kind of your clue as to how to stop him in a way. Yeah. I did think it was really weird that in that scene that Dr. McCoy said that uh, the development of Charlie's fingers and toes match exactly to the development of men yeah. on Earth. I'm like, <laughs> like what? What? <laughs> Yeah. What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> yeah, I did think that was an interesting thing to pick up on as this is this distinctive thing of being human. Yeah. Especially so when so many of the alien species that we meet in the original series, just just the original series, are humans with their skin a different color or you know otherwise they look just like humans and so i would think the fingers and toes they they seem to be almost universal or at least very widespread so i thought that was something interesting to pick up on okay and so basically the next little bit of the show is charlie kind of wandering around the ship getting mad at various people who he perceives is either making fun of him or they are laughing and having fun and he is mad. And and so anybody laughing and having fun is makes him upset. And so he does things to them. 
So Charlie kind of goes crazy. He starts making people disappear. He makes stuff on the ship go haywire. He turned a lady into an iguana. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I had, like, flashbacks of Q here. I was like, he's starting to have, like, Q-like powers with everything that he's doing. Hmm. So finally, he takes over the ship. Uh, he does go after Janice, like, really aggressively here. Kind of breaks into her quarters while she has her, you know, night clothes on. And he's making his intentions clear what he wants from her. And so she flips a switch to broadcast our conversation. Uh, I don't know if it's just to the bridge or over the whole ship. But yeah. uh, Kirk and Spock hear it. And then they run to try and help her. And uh, Charlie ends up breaking Spock's legs and uh, doing something to Kirk to make him cry out in agony. I don't know. But they distract him from Janice and he makes Janice disappear as well. Yeah, after she slaps him. Yeah, yes, that's right. She slaps him and then that, you know, makes him mad and she he makes her finally disappear. And so we're in the stalemate at this point where Charlie has control of the ship and Kirk and Spock have no idea what to do. And then uh, Kirk comes up with the plan to kind of like turn on all of the the devices and the circuits on the ship to try and overpower Charlie's abilities, like his mental abilities in order uh, to, to control everything. Um, because he's made the observation that he has not made anybody else disappear since taking control of the ship. And hmm. so Kirk thinks that he can't manage both at the same time. Uh, so they do that, and Charlie basically is not able to uh, work his magic anymore. And then the Thasians show up and reveal that they are the ones that gave him the powers that he has in order to help him survive on the planet. What was the thing that they were the inhabitants of the planet where he yeah. was abandoned? This, this is where I found we could have used a little bit more explanation. They they tried to infer stuff, and I, I think it needed to be just a little bit more overt. Like the, the Thasian that appears as kind of this um, ghostly green head figure on the bridge... Um, he mentions that, you know, I'm, I'm assuming the form that I had centuries ago so that I can communicate with you. Um, so I inferred that they used to be a, a physical species, a corporeal species, and then they, they sort of transcended that and became mm -hmm. these, um, you know, spirit-like, uh, beings. And, so that's why everybody was saying, you know, there's there's no such thing as Thasians. The the planet is not inhabited, and all this sort of thing is that they're not visible and not uh, able to be, you know, touched or perceived or anything like that unless they want to be. That was one thing I thought could have had a little bit more of an overt, you know, even just the the guy introducing himself rather than just appearing on the bridge and Charlie's like, no, I don't want to go back with you. And, you know, some of the other stuff in there that I wish there was a little bit more explanation on is they said, you know, we gave Charlie his, these powers so that he could survive. Why did he need the powers to survive? If they were there, couldn't they have just taken care of him? 
or was that impossible because they weren't physical? You know, so those are the sorts of things that I think could have been fleshed out a little bit more. But, you know, you're, they're dealing with the constraints of the time limit of, of television. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that's probably where some of that happened. Powers away. Yeah, I was like, just take them back. Like, why can't, if you can give them, you should be able to take them away too. Yeah. And that's where I wondered if maybe something about, they gave him the powers and because otherwise he would have died rather than, you know, it yeah, just helped him survive. Fundamentally I, altered him. Yeah. He can't, he can't go back. Or, you know, maybe everybody else who was with him when he was three died and he was dying. And so they gave him the power. So that's what enabled him to survive. And so then if they take the powers away, he'll start dying again. I, I don't know. It was kind of where I wanted a little more detail. And he seemed like, not that he just, I don't want to go back there. He seemed legitimately afraid to go Back with him. At least that was my perception of it, of not just, I don't want to go back because they're strange. It's He was afraid of them, in my perspective of this. Yeah, it seemed like a mixture of fear of it and also fear of now that he knows what being around others, other physical beings is like, he doesn't want to lose that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think he was afraid of the Thasians. I think it was a, f a panic of uh, kind of more of what Aaron was saying is that he's going to be stuck almost in a solitary life at that point yeah. because he's not going to have, he's going to be the only physical being in the midst of spiritual beings. And so you're basically being condemned to a life of solitude in a lot of ways. And that was, I mean, if you really think about it, that could make anybody panic. Yeah. Um, so I, I really felt for him. And that was the part of the episode that really got me. I was like, that's such an interesting idea to explore that um, mm. conflict of, you know, that physical versus spiritual being and what that would be like to have to be stuck in uh, an environment that you're not suited to. And you're, you're destined to live out your entire life like that. That is the idea that I wish they had explored in this episode. Instead of waiting until the last scene to bring it up, that's the big idea that they should have fleshed out for, I think, for this episode. Instead of making it like a Twilight Zone, stalky, creepy hmm. stuff that was going on. Um, I really would have liked to have done something more philosophical like that with this. And so I think that that is where they missed the boat on this, on this episode as it was too much of the, of the guy stalking the girl and not enough of exploring this bigger idea that would have been really interesting. It's also really interesting that they chose to come back around to making Charlie a sympathetic character. Um, because we start off with he's kind of awkward, a little creepy, then he gets even creepier, and then he gets, you know, scary because he's got these crazy powers and is is basically a toddler throwing a tantrum, but with, you know, crazy powers. And then they come back around to, but remember, 
he's human and he has this reality of being essentially orphaned, abandoned at three and raised by these very different people. So I thought it was an interesting choice to bring it back around like that. And like yeah. you say, it I think it would have been nice to come back around to that, you know, maybe at the like three quarters of the way through the episode mark and then explore that a little more and have it be a, a bit more of a back and forth between the Thasians of whether or not Charlie's going to go with them. Yeah. I mean, at the end, you saw Janice feel for him. Almost. Yeah. I thought it was weird that Kirk, obviously she goes and she starts crying next to Kirk and he turns to her and says, don't worry, it's all over now. And I was like, I don't really think that's why she's crying. No. I think she's crying yeah. because she feels sorry for Charlie having to go live this life now. Yeah, um, for sure. But still interesting that she had to go cry on the captain. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. Just, what, the second time she's done that? Yeah. Finding yeah. comfort in the captain. And I had to take a moment to be like, you're standing next to McCoy, one of the most sympathetic ears on the ship. And you don't just, you know, turn to him, you go to the captain. And, you know, then I had to go, okay, well, she works with the captain, you know, side by side pretty much every day. So, okay, maybe she may feel more comfortable there. So maybe she has like a secret crush on Kirk or something. Yeah, I don't know. Or I was just thinking it maybe was just well, let's let's center the uh <laughs> center the action on the center of the bridge by having her come over to Kirk. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and she's in her nightgown. Like I Which, I feel like Troy would not have done that to Picard <laughs> oh, on <no>. the bridge. <laughs> well, and also her nightgown Riker, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Her nightgown is a heck of a lot more conservative and, you know, covers her way more than her uniform does. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. And she's like apologizing for being in her nightgown. I'm like, come on, that could be a fancy dress to go out in. Like, <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. I thought it was pretty. <laughs> Me too. That's what nightgowns look like in the, like Doris Day wore those types of nightgowns mm. in her movies all the time. All right. So I do have a couple more trivia things that we've not yet covered so far. So Sarah did mention a little bit when she was talking about the production aspect of the show of this episode. Um, this episode is the first of six um, episodes in the original series that takes place entirely on the Starship Enterprise. Also in the scene in um, Janice Rand's quarters, when Charlie flings Spock and Kirk um, across her quarters into a wall, we can see in the wall that there's actually a hole in the wall. Um, I I thought I saw like a crack yeah. in the wall. I was like, dang, he threw them hard. Yeah, that actually happened on either an earlier take or when they were rehearsing the scene that Leonard Nimoy fell too hard into the wall and broke it. Um, and then also in this episode is mentioned, it was said USPA, but it is yeah. the United Earth Space Probe Agency. So they hadn't settled in on the Federation yet on this. So um, they mentioned this agency um, instead. Um, this agency is also mentioned in, in the show Enterprise. Um, huh. So it was like the precursor to the Federation. 
That's interesting because I had picked up on that too. And I was trying to figure out because I didn't have subtitles on. So I didn't catch exactly what acronym he was using there. And I was trying to think like, did he say oof? or something to like trying mm-hmm. to make it fit the federation um yep. and i couldn't so i'm i'm glad you brought that up yeah because like it's never it's not actually explained in the episode they just mention the acronym in a line and move on so yeah in researching this that's what that stood for yeah huh. very cool i didn't realize he was using that in place of the federation I just yeah. heard him say it, and I, was, I just shrugged it off. It's like, okay, <laughs> whatever. I didn't really get that that's what he was referring to. Mm-hmm. So I have uh, one one question before we wrap up the discussion on this. I was thinking, couldn't this whole thing have been avoided if the Antares crew warned Kirk somehow what he was getting with Charlie? Oh, they tried to. They did. Yeah. Um, yeah, so in the very beginning of the episode when they beam on board the ship, you can see them attempt to say something. Like, they look very fe- fearful of Charlie, um, and then they try to say something, and then they're about face on their attitudes. They're smiley. We love this kid. Um, and then when they actually are hailing the Enterprise later, that's I think that's why Charlie blew up that ship, is because it's like they we have something very important to tell you about and then they are blown up. Well, you know, I got that, but that happened in the middle of the episode. I'm talking about, like, before they even went over. It would have been... why? I mean, couldn't they... You think they could have put something, like, in his file? Like, secretly added this to his file that they handed over? I, I was wondering that, too, was... Because he very clearly says, you know, here's his dossier. And it, it almost seemed like he was like, hint, hint, look at it. Um, and then Kirk just hands it off to, you know, Janice to go put it in the computer. So I thought maybe they were trying to, and then because up until that point, Charlie was controlling the Antares, you know, they probably couldn't do anything really overt. Um, and then I didn't know whether in the transporter room, their change of attitude was just them going, oh, right, he's watching, we better you know, toe the line or if he was actually controlling them to, to change their attitude. I'm fairly positive. Like he rolled his eyes back into his head Mm. with them because I remember thinking how abrupt the, the change in attitude was like that caught my attention. So even like the, the reaction to Kirk chastising Charlie for continuing to interrupt them, they had like a whoa reaction to that. So, Mm. All right, so that was our discussion of Charlie X. Uh, As we said at the beginning, we thought this was a very interesting, very intriguing episode. Um, We we did tend to kind of nitpick at a lot of stuff as we were discussing it, but overall, we enjoyed the story and thought it was a, a really unique concept, especially for some of the things that it brings out that I don't think would have been commonplace to put into shows or stories or that sort of thing back when Star Trek was first coming out. So we'd like to hear what you guys thought of this episode and think of the original series. Um, are you like us and you <laughs> tend to get hung up on some of the the details, you know, or are you 
much more focused on the details of the story and how unique some of these situations and things are that come up in in these original series episodes. So you can reach out to us on our social media pages. Uh, we did have some comments on our social media this past week. I had put out a post talking about animals that appear in Star Trek uh, with the uh, release of a new season of Discovery. We're being introduced to a cat on that series. Uh, we, of course, have you know, a spot in Next Generation and uh, all sorts of different uh, canine characters that are brought in. Of course, we have Porthos on Enterprise, which, you know, is basically a main character. So we thought it would be, I thought it would be neat to hear some of your favorite animals on Star Trek. And we got some unique answers. Um, Yum Yum Pod mentioned Picard's fish, of course. Um Several people mentioned Spot. Uh, Zen Power brought up Isis from the Gary Seven episode of the original series, uh, which is a black cat in that episode. Um, we haven't gotten there, of course, but uh, it'll be interesting to see that character when we get there. Uh, and we also had a uh, mention by Mark Brown of the Targ shown in Star Trek V. Uh, no, sorry, not Star Trek V. Uh, Star Trek three, I believe. I thought that was really cool to get some of these neat answers uh, and hear from several different people on that. Uh, we've also had some people retweeting our uh, download announcements and things like that. So thank you to the Funnest Frontier, which is a Lower Decks podcast, if you're looking for a discussion on Lower Decks. Um, and we also had uh, over on Instagram, uh, the account Star Trek Discovery Fandom uh, mentioned that they really uh, thought that Unexpected, the Enterprise episode we just uh, most recently watched, they thought was one of the better episodes of Star Trek. So it's great to hear that People out there are enjoying all different versions of Star Trek. So yeah, it's it's great to hear from everyone out there. So if you want to get in touch with us, you can go over to Twitter where we are at Triples Podcast. On Instagram, you can find us the the Triples and Transporters Podcast. And we also have Facebook group and Facebook page for Triples and Transporters. And then if you want to get in contact with us directly, uh, we do have a Gmail, triplesandtransporters at gmail.com. And as I always say, the links to all of that is in the description of the episode if you're listening on an app that uh, lets you see that. Speaking of episodes, the next one we're going to talk about is TNG. We're going to go on to The Naked Now. And as always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.